All right, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19, continuing on in our study of the book of Acts. And I would begin today reading from a book uh, by an author, named, uh, author and pastor named Francis Chan. The name of his book is Forgotten God. He says this, this is from the introduction. If I were Satan and my ultimate goal was to thwart God's kingdom and purposes, one of my main strategies would be to get churchgoers to ignore the Holy Spirit. The degree to which this has happened, and I would argue that it is a prolific disease in the body of Christ, is directly connected to the dissatisfaction most of us feel with and in the church. We understand something very important is missing, I believe that this missing something is actually a missing someone, namely the Holy Spirit. Without him, people operate in their own strength and accomplish human-sized results. The world is not moved by love or actions that are of human creation, and the church is not empowered to live differently from any other gathering of people without the Holy Spirit. But when believers live in the power of the Spirit, the evidence in their lives is supernatural. The church cannot help but be different. The world cannot help but notice. In the rest of the book, Chan endeavors to look at what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to do a little bit of that this morning. Because I would agree with the basic premise of that book that in general, the Holy Spirit feels like the forgotten God. And I think a lot of that has to do with we don't know a lot about him. We could say a lot of things about God the Father. We could say a lot of things about Jesus. But I think a lot of us would be nervous if there was a quiz on who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. Maybe it's that we grew up with the King James, and when we were kids, we learned about a Holy Ghost. <laughs> I don't know why. But today in the book of Acts, the story is of a group of men who didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. In fact, it's one of my favorite lines in the book of Acts, <laughs> where they just say, we didn't know there was one. And from there, we're going to look through some key texts. We're not going to say everything there is to say about the Holy Spirit, but at least I want to give you an introduction to him and hopefully pique your interest in finding out more. Now again, how does this tie in with the book of Acts? As we've looked at the book of Acts, we've gotten through, now we're into chapter 19, so we've been in the book of Acts for a while over the past couple of years. And the idea, I think the overall idea, is that we are called to be missionaries, witnesses to our culture and to our world. And the amazing thing about the Holy Spirit is that he makes that giant task possible. Sometimes when we think about making disciples, being missionaries to our world, the task can seem daunting. 
and it can seem overwhelming when we think of all the people who live here. But the good news, the hope that we have in, in filling out God's command to make disciples is that he has given us the Holy Spirit. And so our big idea, again, if you're following along with the outline in your bulletin, is this, that we can reach people for Jesus because of the presence and work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So let's first look at Acts chapter 19, verses 1 to 7, and we're going to meet these guys who never even heard of the Holy Spirit. So start in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 19. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we had not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul is traveling. He ends up in the city of Ephesus. And he found some people who are here called disciples. But like Apollos from chapter 18, they are not aware of the Holy Spirit. In fact, in verse 3, we learn that they only knew of the baptism of John. So Verse 3, and he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him. That is Jesus. So again, this reminds us that the stories we read in the Bible actually happened in time and space, they happened in history. And before mass media, there were lags in getting communication out to the masses. Now again, this helps us understand that this story is sort of the exception to the rule. Because these people who were alive were alive before the New Testament, the Bible, was written. And so they didn't have the whole story, and they didn't have the mass media to share the whole story... And so these guys, they apparently knew John, the Baptist, and they knew that he was talking about the Messiah who was to come, and apparently they experienced the baptism, that John did a, or a baptism of repentance, but they hadn't heard the whole story. From Paul's talking in verse 4, where he says, the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus, suggests they might not even have heard of Jesus, but for definitely sure, they had not heard of the Holy Spirit. And so, like Priscilla and Aquila did with Apollos, Paul takes these men and explains to them the Holy Spirit. Look at verses 5 to 7. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. They, there were about 12 men in all. 
Now, seeing that little miracle makes us ask the question, why? Why would God have them speak in tongues and prophesy? I think the best answer to that question is we have a little mini Pentecost going on here. What is happening here mimics what happened in Acts chapter 2 with the apostles and those gathered with them in Jerusalem. And this mini Pentecost is important because it shows us that what happened to the apostles is the same that is happening to these believers. And the reason that that's important is that there are not levels of the Holy Spirit. Okay, they're not like credit cards where you start out with a regular credit card and if you have good credit, you get the gold card and if you have even better credit, you get the platinum. Okay, there's no platinum version of the Holy Spirit, even for the apostles. The same Holy Spirit that came upon the apostles is the same Holy Spirit that these believers have. And that's important because that means it's the same Holy Spirit that you and I have. There isn't some special version of the Holy Spirit for the extra holy people. Every single believer, anyone who has become a disciple of Jesus, who has placed their faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, has the Holy Spirit. The other thing that we need to see here is that this is an exceptional time. These guys lived during the time of the writing of the Bible, and so they, they had not heard the story, whereas we live in the New Testament after the New Testament has been written. We have the whole Bible. And this helps us understand that when someone comes to faith, that we should not expect them to all of a sudden start speaking in tongues and prophesying. Because during the time when the Bible was being written, God would use miraculous signs to testify to the truth of what was being said. You see this in a place like Acts chapter 14, verse 3. Because the Bible hadn't been written yet, because we didn't know this was God's word and the truth found in God's word, oftentimes God would accompany the words of a guy like Paul with a miraculous sign to show that what he was saying really was from God. And so this demonstrates the truth of what Paul is saying, that those who believe in Jesus have the Holy Spirit. Now let's look at, let's turn our attention to what else the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. First place that we're going to turn is John chapter 14. It'll be up on the screen, but you can also turn there in your own Bibles. And here's the truth that John chapter 14, verses 16 to 17 is going to tell us. That the Holy Spirit indwells all believers. 
The Holy Spirit indwells all believers. Before Pentecost, and especially in the Old Testament, the language of the Spirit of God was one of coming on a person for a time or a task. So you have a place like Judges 14 with the story of Samson. Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. This is the language of the Bible before Pentecost, that the the Spirit will come upon you for a time when you need it. But when we read John 14, it's a different story. It's, it's, It's a better Uh, Holy Spirit in that sense. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, that's the Holy Spirit, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. This Holy Spirit will be with you forever. He not only just rushes upon you when you need it, he is dwelling in you. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. In some way, it is Jesus' answer to his promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Do you ever wonder how Jesus could make that promise? How could he be with everybody forever? He does so in the presence of the Holy Spirit. So if you are a believer in Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in you. It means you're never alone. It means that God is always with you. Every believer has the Spirit of God dwelling in them. So that's more of what the Holy Spirit does. Let's see more about what he does in John chapter 14, verse 25 and 26. One of the things that the Holy Spirit does is that he teaches us. John 14, 25, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name... He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, John 14 is a part of the book of John where it's sort of Jesus' farewell speech. And one of the things he's doing is helping them prepare for when he is not there anymore. And obviously, as he's telling the disciples, I'm, I'm going away, they're sad. And they're losing their leader. And when people lose a leader, there's fear, there is uncertainty. They don't know how they're going to go on. And so that's why Jesus, again, talks about the Holy Spirit who is going to, in one sense, come in Jesus' place. You guys, you won't be alone because the Holy Spirit will be here. And just as I taught you, which Jesus did, the Holy Spirit is going to teach you And this is a great promise here. Bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. 
This is a promise that gets better as you get older. That, G, that the Holy Spirit will help you remember <laughs> what Jesus said. The Holy Spirit helps us understand the words of Jesus, the Bible as we have it. I had a friend once who, who came to faith, and part of his testimony was that before he came to faith, he would try to read the Bible, and it just didn't make any sense to him. He tried to read it, and it just, it was nothing. But when he placed his faith in Christ, he said one of the things that he noticed changed was his ability to begin to grasp the truths of Scripture. Friends, that's not an accident. That is the presence of the Holy Spirit working in your life promises to teach us and call us to remember what God has said. The Holy Spirit not only teaches, but he also guides us. Let's look at John 16, verses 13 to 14. Now notice, the verses so far have been in the, in the 14 to 16 range, and that's, this is one of the places where we read a lot about the Holy Spirit. So again, if you want to go back and read more, John 13 to 17 is a great place to learn about the Holy Spirit. So John 16, verses 13 and 14. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So what's Jesus saying there? Look at that phrase, he will guide you into all truth. So we have to think, what does it mean to be guided into all truth? Well, one aspect of that would be that teaching of it. We are shown truth, we are revealed truth through God's word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, but it takes it that next step. So the Holy Spirit not only shows us the truth of God's word, he guides us in living out the truth of God's word. The Holy Spirit shows us and guides us to live the godly lives that are required of followers of Jesus. So when you're reading your Bible and you're understanding the truth and then you take it to that next step of application of how does this change my life, that is the Spirit of God working in you. Again, in some ways, it takes off the worry, the pressure. How do, I, how do I live this out? The Holy Spirit will reveal to you how to live out the truth of God's word. What an amazing companion. <laughs> he's not just standing next to you, he's leading you in how you ought to live. You look at verse 14, he will glorify me. This is Jesus speaking. Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. One of the ways the Bible talks is that everything we should do should glorify God. It's a theme that runs throughout your Bible. And Jesus is saying, that's that's what the Holy Spirit does. So in one sense, we're following him as he's doing what we're called to do, as he 
glorifies God. We follow him and glorify God in the same way. He will show us how to glorify Jesus in all that we do. Again, sometimes the commands in the Bible can feel daunting because we know we can't live up to them. But the hope is that the Holy Spirit is there to empower us, to guide us, to show us what that life looks like and what that means for us. And one of the biggest tools in the Holy Spirit's toolbox is the work of conviction. So let's look at John 16, verse 8. And when he comes, that's the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. When you're convicted about something, that is a sign that the Holy Spirit is working in you. I had a friend that pastored another church, and he had a couple come up to him who wasn't really happy with him and his preaching. And, and I think this is one of those times where they didn't really know what they were saying. <laughs> because what they said to him was this, your sermons are too convicting. He wanted to say thank you, but that would have just made the situation worse. <laughs> now again, I knew this couple as well. <laughs> And again, I don't think they really knew what they were saying. But what it demonstrated was that we don't want to be convicted. We don't want to have to change. There's a deep need to always be right and always get to do things our way. And in that way, we can become callous to the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. But we need to understand that having a soft heart that can be convicted is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. One of the ways you know you have the Spirit is that he convicts you of where you need to change. And if it's the Holy Spirit doing it, then it's probably a good thing. Let's not be afraid of being convicted. Let's not be afraid of having to change our lives according to the pattern of Scripture. Let's humbly come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Humble ourselves and find that we are guided by him in the way that we should go. Next, I want us to see that the Holy Spirit equips and empowers all believers. I'm going to flip over to 1 Corinthians 12. This is another section of your Bible that has a lot to be said about the Spirit, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. Again, it's another place. We're going to look at a snippet, but there, there's more. 
And again, one of the, the ideas here is I want to pique your interest to grow in your understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. Because again, I would agree that with, with uh, the assertion of Francis Chan that many of us have forgotten him, but because we don't know much about him. So this is 1 Corinthians 12. I'm going to start in verse, sorry, 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now, if you've been in church for for any amount of time, you'll probably hear the phrase spiritual gifts. It's an idea in the Bible that we have gifts that have been given by the Spirit. Isn't that what it says, verse 4? Now, there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in every one. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions them, each one, individually as he wills. So the first thing we need to see is that any spiritual gift you have, any gift that you have, is from the Spirit. He gave it to you. That also then means he had a reason to give it to you. See, spiritual gifts are not like superpowers where you just walk around and you amaze people with what you can do. Spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives each of us are for the good of of others and the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look back at verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good good. So the Holy Spirit gives each of us gifts to actually use. And if it's for the common good, it usually means it's for the good of somebody else. So the Holy Spirit equips us, gives us these gifts for the purpose of serving others, of loving others, of sharing Jesus with others. He gives us the tools that we need to do the job he's called us to do. And notice again, verse 11. All of these gifts are empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. So you cannot say you don't have a spiritual gift. One of the ways I know this, I've used this example before, but you go in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, where marriage and singleness are both listed as gifts from the Spirit. Now, why is that important? Because you're either married or you're not. That's everybody. 
So guess what? Your marriage is a spiritual gift from God. On the flip side, your singleness is a gift from God. So at a very minimum, everybody here has either one of those gifts. So we can't say, well, I don't have any gifts to do anything. Because it's just not true. All of us have gifts, and all of us individually were given gifts by the Spirit for the good of others and for the glory of God. But not only do we have these gifts, the second phase there, you can see it in verse 11. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit. The Spirit equips us with everything we'll need, every tool we need to do the job. But He also empowers us to actually do the job. Picture a man who's going, he's a plumber, he's going to go fix some plumbing at a house, and he has his toolbox there, it has every tool, but he just sits in front of the problem, not actually doing it. Holy Spirit not only gives you the toolbox, He empowers you to actually do the job. So when we serve others, when we love others, when we share Jesus with others, we are working in the power of the Spirit of God. See, that's when you can get something done. (laughs) When what is moving you is the Holy Spirit. You see, we have everything we need. We have the power of the Spirit. We have the spiritual gifts that He gives us. The Spirit gives us everything we need to do what He has called us to do. The question is, will we be willing to work in the power of the Spirit, to work using the gifts that God has given us? Or will we pretend we don't have those gifts? The Holy Spirit empowers and equips us for the work of ministry to be missionaries to a lost and dying world. This time I want to go back to Acts chapter 19 because I want you to see the end of the story. That part of the story doesn't really end with them receiving the Holy Spirit. It's really the middle. But in verses 8 to 10, we see what happens when we come under the lead of the Spirit through His empowerment. Let me read verses 8 to 10. And he entered the synagogue, this is Paul, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. 
This continued for two years so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. This is what spirit-empowered, spirit-equipped, spirit-following ministry looks like. Paul spoke boldly in the synagogue. He endured those who spoke evil of Christianity. When it says spoke evil of the way, that was one way the early church talked about following Jesus as being members of the way. So he was able to endure being mistreated and and slandered. Because that opposition didn't stop him. He endured it and continued on for two more years. He just had to find a different place. (laughs) So you see the endurance that the Spirit gave him in empowering him. And then in verse 10, we see what happens when the Spirit is moving. Paul and these disciples who were with him ministered in in Ephesus for two more years. And then as a result of their work in Ephesus, we read that all the residents of Asia, now think modern-day Western Turkey, okay, so think of the country of Turkey when they say Asia in the Bible, that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God transformed a region of the world through the work of these spirit-empowered believers. We might say today that through the work done in Seattle, all of western Washington heard about the word of the Lord. Maybe we could say that through the ministry empowered by the Spirit on Whidbey Island, the Pacific Northwest heard about the word of the Lord. In the context of the first part of the story, we understand that it wasn't how great of a speaker Paul was. And guess what? He was a great speaker. He was wicked intelligent, knew his Bible better than probably anybody. What it was is that these believers were equipped and empowered and led by the Spirit. The same Spirit you and I have. In one sense, there's no difference between you and the Apostle Paul. That because we both have the Spirit of God, just as God used Paul to reach Asia, God will use you, led and empowered and equipped by the Spirit, to reach your community. 
It wasn't because Paul was extra holy. It's because he had the Spirit of God dwelling inside of him. A couple quick applications as we close this morning. First is this, find peace in the presence of the Spirit in you. When you're a believer in Jesus and you have the Spirit, you are never alone. And the God of the universe is with you in the Holy Spirit. Number two, follow the lead of the Spirit. Submit daily to what the Spirit is convicting you of, of what the Spirit is teaching you about Jesus, about how he is guiding you in all truth. The response to that is submitting daily to what he wants you to do and how he wants you to live. Number three, cherish and use the gifts that the Spirit gives you. And each one of us has been given gifts by the Spirit, and not only given gifts, but empowered by the Spirit to use them. So what is our response? Our response is to use them. Don't neglect or ignore the gifts God has given you for the good of others and for his glory. So don't forget the Holy Spirit. Don't let him be the forgotten God in your life. I hope you have a better understanding of who the Spirit is today. And I hope for some of you this means that you will want more understanding of the Spirit and that it will drive you to find out more about who the Holy Spirit is and what he does. But today as we look at his work and we see the results of that work in Acts 19, I want us to have hope. I want us to know that while the task of making disciples in a fallen world can be daunting and overwhelming at times, that we are not alone. We have the Spirit who is with us, who guides us, and equips us for that work of spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. That through him, your presence is with us forever that the Spirit will teach us and guide us in all truth. God, help us to submit to the Spirit every day, to understand the conviction that he brings into our lives, and that we would work and minister in the power that he provides and in the gifts that he provides. God, that we would not forget the Spirit today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.